In a world full of Pinterest boards and perfectly curated social media feeds, it can sometimes be really hard to discern the difference between what is real and what is not. Now, I'm the type of girl who really loves going on long walks, long hikes through the woods, especially when it ends with a beautiful view of waterfalls. But I'm also the type of girl who really enjoys taking long, luxurious walks through the aisles of Hobby Lobby. I just love looking at all the decorating possibilities and dreaming up how I would decorate each and every room in my house if money wasn't an object. Some of my favorite things to read are the dishware that have the great food puns on them. Maybe you've seen some of them. The ones that say, anything is possible? Or, how about, let's talk about it. And then my personal favorite, don't go bacon, my heart. I also really love the inspirational word art because sometimes you just need the wall to tell you something inspirational. So it's the ones that say, believe in yourself. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And then the one I find most ironic as a millennial is the I can do hard things. Because in my millennial brain, I'm reading that as I can do hard things as being a grown-up who makes phone calls and makes those appointments by herself instead of asking her husband to do it. Or I can do hard things means instead of running aimlessly around the store for 15 minutes trying to find that one specific item, I stop after two minutes and ask for help. Though I like to think that my way of doing it just ensures that I hit my 10,000 steps for the day. But what if we look at I can do hard things? Not as just going over the order in your head over and over again before stepping up to the cash register and still delivering your order wrong. But what if we look at it as doing one of the greatest and hardest things we will ever do in our life? I was born and raised in a Christian family. We went to church every single Sunday. We didn't even skip when we went on vacations. We attended Sunday school every week at 9 a.m. for an hour. Then we went to church and we served wherever and whenever possible. I remember this one time my dad took me on a weekend motorcycle trip where we ended up going down to a place that was in the middle of nowhere. We ended up setting tent and camping there for the weekend. And then Sunday morning, we got up early and we went into town in search of a church to attend. Now we pulled up to this beautiful, quaint building. And please read it as me being polite and saying that this was a really tiny building. And so we get inside of this building and are overwhelmed with the fact that there's a whopping two people, the pastor and a congregant. And so to give you just a little bit of context, my husband is the worship leader out at our Collinsville, Maryville campus, and he has a beautiful voice. But people have this little misconception that if you're married to someone who is just as talented as that, obviously they're gonna marry somebody else who can also sing well. 
And even though I have talked with Jesus over and over again, asking, pleading, begging him to bless me, that is yet to come true. And so here is my dad and myself standing in the pew and the worship service begins. And of course, we're out here belting it loud and proud because to be honest, I was a little afraid that if we didn't, the rocks might. And the worship service concludes and to be honest, I don't remember what the pastor said or what even he said to us after the service was over but I'm willing to bet he went home beyond thrilled that in one day his congregation doubled. So I have a great memory of that, but then I also have memories of hating church. You know, I hated having to get up early on the weekend on the one of two days that I could potentially sleep in. I hated that my parents made us get up and dress up super nicely. I hated that we had to go sit in Sunday school for an hour and listen to someone talk to us like we had all week long. I hated that I had to sit in a hard pew while some guy talked from the stage. And I would sit there daydreaming of being anywhere else. If you had asked me then, if I was a Christian, I would have said absolutely. Because though there may have been moments where I had fond memories of going to church, and there had been moments where I hated going to church, what my parents did was establish the importance of God. And so if you had asked, I would have said absolutely, I am a Christian for what I understood then. But because I am so hard-headed, and I need to be told things over and over and over again, it wasn't until much later when I was an adult that I realized what it really meant to be a follower of Christ. And it wasn't until then that I truly did the greatest and hardest thing that I will ever do. Because it was in that moment that I made the decision to follow Christ. My name is Erica Peel, and I am the director of student ministries here at Christ Church. <laughs> and we are continuing on with our Easter series. Today we're going to walk through the story of Jesus reinstating Peter. Jesus had appeared to the disciples several times before this point. Um, but the, Peter and the men were fishing, and they'd been out uh, trying to see if they could catch anything. And a man from the shore shouts, hey, have you had any luck catching any fish? And the men shout back, no, nothing yet. And so the man on the shore shouts, well, try throwing your net over on the other side. And so they did. And their nets became so overwhelmed, they should have broke. And then in this moment, Peter has a revelation. And he's like, it's Jesus, and so Peter being Peter, being irrational as he is, jumps out of the boat and swims to shore while the rest of the men follow in the boat that they were in. And when they get to shore, Jesus invites them to have breakfast with him, and he serves them bread and fish. Now before we continue in today's passage, I wanted to take you back three years to one of the first times that Jesus went fishing with Peter. Peter and his fellow fishermen had been out all night long. It's an exhausting and long process to fish. 
And so it was morning and they were back on the shore cleaning and getting their gear ready for the next night when Jesus comes walking along the shore and he's just surrounded by people. And so Jesus steps into Peter's boat and he asks him to take his boat out a little ways from the shore. And so Peter does. And Jesus continues to preach to the people from the boat. And when he is finished, when he is finished, he looks at Peter and he tells him to throw his nets overboard. And Peter's like, but Jesus, we were just out all night long and we couldn't catch a thing. But because Jesus told him to, he did. And in that moment, his nets were overwhelmed with fish, so much so that another boat had to come and help gather the fish. And even then, the boats began to sink under the weight of the fish. And then it was in that moment, Peter drops to his knees and he says, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinner. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do not be afraid. For now, from now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats ashore, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. You see, at this time, people could be disciples and still do their job. They can continue to work and, and live in their lives and do as they wanted as they were disciples. And this wasn't even the first time that Jesus had made this request of Peter. But this time he was asking a little bit more. He was asking for a full-time commitment. He was asking Peter to leave everything and come follow him. Flash forward to back to the present, and they realized that Jesus wasn't exactly who they thought he might have been. This man had just been arrested, brutally beaten, he was hung up on a cross, and when they were hoping for the last plea of him saving himself from the cross, he didn't. He was then placed in a tomb, and then three days later, he defeated death. He was alive, and he had been visiting with his disciples, which leads us to our scripture, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. They had just finished eating when Jesus turns and asks this very pointed question at Peter. And he starts off by calling him Simon, son of John. Not Peter. Not the rock. Not the name that Jesus had given him. Perhaps this is Jesus' way of acknowledging that Peter just days before hadn't been a rock in his faithfulness, that he hadn't stood by him. If you remember just days before at the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, he had turned to Peter and said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter boldly proclaimed, saying, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And now here we have Jesus asking Peter if he loves him. And he's asking him if he still claims to love him more than everyone else as he had once claimed. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And both times that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, he uses the word agape for love. Agape is the highest form of love in the Bible. It refers to incomparable, immeasurable love that God has for humanity. Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him in the kind of way that might require sacrifice. And Peter, this man who had just denied knowing who Jesus was, who had just watched him get beat and spit up on in the temple courts, sat there and denied him, could not respond with the same kind of love. And while he was still feeling the sting of what he had just done, Peter responded instead with the filio kind of love, which is the kind of love between true friends. It's the kind of love that shows great care and compassion and respect for one another. It's still a great love, but it wasn't the agape kind of love. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This time when Jesus asked, he asked Peter if he did, in fact, love him as a true friend. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. You see, what Jesus is not doing is he's not asking or challenging Peter to apologize for what he's done. He's not asking or challenging him to, to promise to never do that again. No, what Jesus is asking Peter is if he loves him. Because Jesus is concerned about our heart. He wants to know where our hearts lie. Because when our hearts get aligned with Jesus, the rest will follow. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus spoke of Peter's past, reminding him of his younger days when he used to have less responsibility, be more careless, and he could do as he pleased. I'm sure many of us remember what our younger days were like. I know there's a moment or two that I wouldn't mind having the opportunity to rewrite or have an opportunity to do over. And as someone who works with our teenagers, I can, without a doubt, confidently say that I am so thankful social media really didn't take off until the end of my high school career. I mean, you know, Facebook has that feature where you can look at old posts and pictures that you once, once made. And I love it, I love it, because I, the art form of scrapbooking is lost on me. And so I have an online scrapbook and I can look through all of the incredible things that once had done and I can watch destiny grow up. And then I scroll and I hit about a decade or so ago. And man, I gotta say, sometimes I really question how on earth did I have any friends? Because me as who I am now, looking back on who I was then, we would not be friends. 
And so there's this really great feature where you can just hit delete old posts. And so I quickly look and I say, yep, nope, delete. Because you know what? When the next year comes around and it's that same date, I don't want to keep reliving that past moment. I want to pretend old Erica didn't exist and she was a wonderful person. Jesus is calling Peter to move forward. He's calling him to no longer be like his old self. He's calling him into a new life of purpose and focus. And maybe he didn't realize it in the moment. And John is writing this 50 years in the future, but he even foreshadows how Peter will glorify Jesus even in his dying. And Jesus ends this by saying, follow me. In this dramatic moment, Jesus gave these last words to Peter as he had once done before. Only this time, Peter knew exactly what he was agreeing to if he would follow Jesus. Jesus gave Peter a second chance. He gave him the opportunity to hit delete old posts, to move on with his future and pretend like his past didn't exist. And man, what a beautiful way this would be to end the story, to say, and they lived happily ever after. But y'all, Peter is Peter. And he has this nasty habit of sticking his foot right into his mouth. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was following him. And when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? I feel like this is the part of the movie where we're all just shaking our heads and just screaming, why, Peter? Why aren't you getting it? What is wrong with you? Jesus just renewed his challenge with Peter. They were moving forward and beyond Peter's denial. And Jesus said, follow me, Peter. And yet, Peter points his finger at John. What about him? What about what he's done? What are you going to do about him? Now, you can tell that Peter had siblings. And I'm not going to be the one here today to point fingers at whether or not he was, you know, the middle child or the youngest child or obviously the oldest sibling. But he clearly had a talent for pointing fingers at others. I don't know about you, but for me personally, this is so incredibly frustrating. Not only because Peter is being ridiculous, but because Peter reminds me of me. Peter is me. You know, I have my faults, all two of them. You know, unless you ask my husband or my daughter or possibly anyone in student ministry, their list is probably about 50. But I will claim, I will claim all two of them sometimes. Because the second somebody starts to point fingers and ask whose fault was it, who did this, why are you doing this, I'm the first to say, "Mm mm-mm, wasn't me, it was them. And maybe this is some type of self-preservation or something, but man, can you imagine how frustrating this had to be for Jesus? Here he was, post-resurrection. He had just suffered the most terrible death imaginable. He's giving Peter another chance, and all Peter can do is point his finger. Why? 
Why is it so easy for us to deflect any kind of challenge that God gives us? Why instead of focusing on what God is telling us to do, what he is asking of us, that we instead look at others and their wrongs and their faults and what they're doing? Verse 21, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now, I love, there's many things I love, but I really love this about Jesus because the second someone starts to challenge me and get pointed at me, I get a little defensive and maybe sometimes a little irate, but what Jesus does is he challenges Peter back. Peter had a choice to make. He had to choose to follow him. And it didn't matter what John or any of the other disciples were doing. He had to consider what Jesus was asking of him. You must follow me. This was a challenge for Peter. This was a challenge for you and for me. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to surrender everything? Surrender your desires. Surrender doing things your way. Have you thought about what it might cost you to follow Jesus? Maybe you've messed up a lot. Perhaps you've been messing up recently and Satan has gotten it all twisted in your mind and you've begun to think that you can't follow Jesus. You don't have the right or the ability to follow Jesus. But I'm here today to tell you the truth that that is the lie of the enemy. And Peter, who denied knowing who Jesus was, still had an opportunity. Jesus still came to him and said, come follow me. And so if he can tell Peter that, then if you're here, you still have the choice, the chance to make that same choice. But oh, what about my family and what about my friends? They're not following Jesus. They're going about doing whatever they want. How can I follow Jesus if they're not? The better question to ask yourself, but what you really should be asking yourself is how can you not follow Jesus? How can you not? Because if you have any hope and desire of bringing Jesus and light and joy into the lives of others, then you first had to be on fire for Jesus. Because the reality is, darkness does not add light to darkness, only light can do that. Our students have been stepping out and leaning into this 500 campaign. You see, it's not just for the adults, but also our students and our, our children are being part of this. They have stepped in and said, yes, I want to be part of this. I want to invite my friends and families to church. I want to share Jesus with them. I want them to know the good news. Over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to witness our students bring in their friends and bring in their family. And because of that, I've gotten to see their lives drastically changed because they have made a choice to follow Jesus. You have that same chance, that same choice. If our teens and our children can make that choice, you too can make that choice. And so today, you have a question 
to ask yourself, am I going to choose to follow Jesus? Are you willing to surrender everything to follow him, regardless of what anybody else is doing? So we have been walking through confirmation. We did four weeks of classes with several of our students. And what that means is we walk them through what it means to be a Christian. We equip them with the tools that they will need to be successful in their Christian walk. We talk about how they are stepping out into the enemy's territory. And we walk them through the Bible. And so today we are going to confirm several of our students. And as they come up on stage, I wanted to share with you what we are asking you of their community. Come on up, guys. We are asking you to surround them, to support them, to encourage them, and to be in prayer with them because they are making an incredibly important decision today. But the reality is this is just one day. They're gonna be making this every single day of their lives and they need to be surrounded by their community of believers. So, will you guys uh, give it up for our students here. Erica, first of all, thank you for bringing God's word. Thank you for being our student director and thank you for leading so well. You all will be joining Christ Church today. Next Sunday is our Charter Sunday where we celebrate uh, the new Christ Church. This will be our second anniversary. We'll give you the opportunity to do the same thing next week and for those of you that are members to, to sort of recommit. But today is a day for these students that we're going to celebrate a decision they've made in their lives you know, when it comes to students here, some of these students I've known their entire lives. Some of them I baptized when they were babies. And we prophesied that there would be a day that they would receive Christ and that they would become a part of the church. And today is not only bringing in some students, but today is a prophecy fulfilled. And how I praise God for that. I would now ask you. Do you profess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him in union with the church, which Christ has opened to everyone? If so, say, I do. And do you renew the, vow, the solemn vow and promise made at your baptisms? If so, say, I do. And will you uphold this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say, I will. Almighty God, we thank you for these new members that we welcome into this church. Thank you, dear God, for the gifts that they bring. Thank you for what you have done and are doing and will do in each of their lives. And thank you, dear God, for our student ministry that has touched so many lives in such profound ways. We thank you. Thank you so much for every volunteer for every staff person, for every student, for those students that are coming up. We pray, dear God, that you'd be in the middle of all of that. And I thank you, Lord, as an old dude. Sometimes I look at this world and I look at where things seem to be going and it's hard to have a lot of hope. 
But on days like today, I am reminded that we, as people of God, have a future and a hope. And we celebrate that in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said,